Welcome to the B-Ball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, joined by Tim Cranjus McBasketball. We have uh, an episode, honestly, I'm super excited for. I was in the database till after midnight last night, Tim. We are debuting our perimeter defense grades, how they work. We're going to walk you through uh, all the different types we have. Uh, we're going to do some player, uh, you know, are these guys, do they live up to the reputation? Do they not? We finally have the metrics. Tim, I feel like basketball for the longest time has been reputation based and we are we're not in the dark ages anymore uh we're kind of like in the dim ages where we're starting to get more information and we're starting to figure out you know who can really do these things who's kind of you know maybe a shell of themselves they're a little bit older but you know all that let, let's get into it we have our perimeter defensive grades tim let's just uh let, you know kind of explain it to me break it down yeah, so we have a few of these, and, and we also released some interior defensive grades. We'll get to those on another podcast. But the main things on the perimeter that we're looking at are on-ball defense, off-ball chaser defense. So, like, chasing, like, players around screens. Think of, like, a Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, or Steph Curry. And then uh, ball handler screen defense. So, like, pick and rolls and, and dribble handoffs, things like that, where there's a screen involved and as the defender on the perimeter, you're trying to get around the screen and then, you know, recover if you can or get some back pressure, things like that. So those are the main components. And like you mentioned, we're approaching a bit of a turn in terms of how we're able to view defense through data. For the longest time, it was reputation. And that's the type of thing that can lag a bit. And I know for me personally, when I'm watching film defensively live, like when I'm watching a game, I notice like 20 times less than I noticed going through defensive film afterwards. Uh, Cause there's so much involved in terms of like rotating and assignments and all sorts of little things that when we're just trying to watch basketball to be entertained, we tend to look at the ball, we look at the on ball defense and we miss a lot of that off ball stuff. And from a data perspective, all we really had were activity stats like steals defle- uh, deflections is even like relatively new 2013 or no, I think like 2015, I think we got deflections. Um, but like steals and like blocks and rebounds. So there's so much more to defense and we're starting to be able to recognize that. Now, in future years, we'll be able to have better data as more and more becomes public around who's like helping, uh, you know, who's guarding who is something we have now, but how well they're holding down offensive players in a more precise manner is something that hopefully we'll have on the public side soon. That's something, you know, teams are starting to have, but from our perspective, what we're really looking at with these stats is like, how well are you able to disrupt the opposing player? How well are you able to keep them from getting a shot off? Like suppression is the word I use. Um, it, it's kind of like a cornerback in the NFL. If you're you know, breaking up passes, that's good. If you're getting interceptions, that's even better. But if you're not even having the ball thrown your way, that means you're just not even letting that guy be open. So we're trying to, on the basketball side of things, using data we have available on who's guarding who and what those offensive players are doing infer what's happening. Um, So that's, I guess, the general setup. If I'm to break it down a little bit more, I think the first thing that's really important to note is defensive field goal percentage is something that we've found, and and Krishna in prior years has done good research on this, defensive field goal percentage, once we get away from the rim, is very random. If you look year after year, we might see elite defenders, you know, be awesome at it and then stink at it and then be mediocre at it because it's just, it's random. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's something that year after year I see people reference and it's like, well, 
we know these guys they can't really impact the shot after it's taken. Um, and because of that, this is an area of data that's available, but we have to kind of refrain from leaning too much into because we know it's not really telling us the truth. Um, but at the rim, that's something that does matter. So once we get to the interior grades, we'll, we'll talk about that. So moving past whether the shot goes in or not, how can you evaluate defense? And it comes back to that concept of suppressing the offensive players. We're now at a point where we have matchup data, where we can see on a game-by-game -game level, even within possessions with, with helping and switching, which, which offensive players are being guarded by which defensive players. And aggregating that at a big picture level, we can see, and we calculate things like our matchup difficulty stat, our defensive versatility stat. But that same you know, framework is what we're using here to then be able to see, okay, this defender, he's guarding a lot of off-screen shooters, and those off-screen shooters tend to be going off of screens every so often you know, at this rate. And when he was guarding them, they were able to get shots off at a way higher frequency or maybe a way lower frequency, and that matters. So it's that kind of like... When you, when you go to work at the office that day, are you having a good day against him or are you having a bad day against him just in terms <laughs> of even getting shots off? So that's really what we're looking for. And looking at that, we still want to really take a look at and, and measure uh, you know, some of that activity data. So deflections, we have our pickpocket rating for on-ball defense. We have our passing lane defense rating for off-ball defense where you're looking at deflections and interceptions. So those two matter as well as part of this. Um, but big picture, it's about, you know, not letting them get shots off, being disruptive where you can, where we know it's meaningful, which on the perimeter isn't all that much. Um, and by doing all of this, we're also accounting for some of that matchup difficulty. We're accounting for who is being defended, and we're incorporating those activity, activity stats to big picture, be able to have something that allows us to separate perimeter defense into these three different areas. And you know, I think end up with a pretty good product, even though it's, you know, it's not a, a perfect thing, but it's a huge step forward, I think, in terms of, of just the landscape of what's available publicly. And I know, I mean, you talked about being up in the database until after midnight, I was <laughs> doing the same thing. And even today, I was just like, hey, I put a tweet out, who are the best on-ball defenders in today's NBA? And time after time, guy after guy, everyone that was being, well, not everyone, but just about everyone that was being put forth, that the consensus said, yeah, this is an elite on-ball defender our data matched up with that. And that, that makes me feel pretty good about where it is and how we're approaching more and more of the data matching that film. Well, see, what I, what I take away from that that I find really interesting is we talk about suppression. You know, basically, can you uh, have a player get less shots up? I heard a really good conversation. Uh, it was J.J. Redick on his podcast talking to Duncan Robinson. And they were basically saying, you know, once you get to the point, this was JJ telling Duncan, like, hey, you're kind of at that level where you're a guy that can take, you know, eight threes a game at, you know, 40%. So your job now becomes, how are you going to get those attempts a game? Like that, that's where your focus becomes instead of developing the skill of how are we going to get those off? And that kind of goes into these defensive grades where your mind shift switches to like, if I can suppress this player, if I can stop Duncan Robinson or, you know, the now retired JJ Redick from getting those seven, eight, nine attempts off, like that's how you're really going to uh, stop a player or, you know, lessen their impact. And I feel like that's kind of the heart of what these stats get at. Absolutely. It's, it's like, I mean, a deflection without a steal is still meaningful because it delays the offense. It puts them off the rhythm and 
the shot clock in basketball is really why all of this matters. If you can just run plays over and over and over again, suppressing actions at a really high rate, it's good, but you know, the offense can still get something off. But in the NBA and college with a shot clock, if Steph Curry's not able to get his shot off of that pin down screen with 14 seconds left, all of a sudden the Warriors need to go figure out how to do something else. And the deeper you get into the shot clock, the more shots teams are going to have to take that just to them aren't good shots earlier in the shot clock. So they're settling for less value, you know, valued situations because you were able to extend that defensive possession. And we've seen, uh, you see this really well at the college level, the defenses that do a really good job end up seeing a lot of their possessions ended by isolation for the other team, just because all their sets aren't working. Um, so <laughs> that is ultimately what you want to get at in, in where these stats are trying to really add some value in a way that hasn't been addressed before. Okay, so now we're going to get into uh, kind of the main hubs of our perimeter defensive stats. We have on-ball defense, we have off-ball chaser, and we have uh, defending the ball handler in screen coverage. So let's start with our on-ball defense. Can you kind of just break that down for us real quick? Yeah, so with on-ball defense, we're taking a look at like how well are you able to I'll explain it this way. Like the the data itself is seeking to provide insight into how well you're staying in front of your guy. Are you, are you preventing them from being able to drive by you? And when they are driving by you, are you able to prevent them from getting a shot off? And all along the way, are you able to, in addition to just stopping them, are you able to generate turnovers? Because picking someone's pocket is, you know, the same result from a defensive perspective, perspective as just a missed shot but from an offensive perspective going the other way your ensuing offensive possession has more value because you've gotten a live ball turnover so that is a little bonus that's added into this and big picture on ball defense should be identifying defenders who are doing a good job just not getting beat generating turnovers at a good rate on ball um and and just kind of doing their job of not you know, compromising the defense and forcing their, their teammates to help them out with rotations. And, and I feel like, all, Oh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah. I was yeah, going to go to off ball chaser defense, but if you have, you know, if, if you have anything for the on ball, go for it. I was just going to say on ball defense. I feel like for the average fan, it's a little bit easier to see, right? Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's where your eyes are. It's, it's easier to say, you know, this, this person seemed to stay and even someone that doesn't, someone can go for a lot of points and be like, okay, but like Alex Caruso was hanging with them the whole game. Like he was making him work or like PJ Tucker last year in the playoffs. Like there was a lot of people being like, oh, you know, like PJ Tucker's sometimes his value comes from making people work. And that's just something we can, we see with our eyes. So it's a little bit easier. And that's where I kind of wanted to get into our, our off ball chaser role where that's something where, you know, our eyes honestly are not there a lot of the time because that's not where the ball is. So if you could kind of break that one down for us. Yeah, that's one that, it was really interesting to me to see the results because for the on ball, we, like you said, we watch that, we see that in the game and that's really where everyone's attention is. So if the results don't match up with the eye test, that's not a good sign. Um, With the off ball chaser defense, this isn't something that we're generally watching. And like, I've gotten a good sense of how this looks like for players on the teams I follow, but big picture league wide, I don't, I, I, I've got a general idea, but it's, it's something that's harder to pay attention to just casually watching the games, even as a really smart, you know, I, I coach basketball, I draw plays, put playbooks together, all this stuff, I run a data company, but it's, it's still really difficult to see everything defensively. 
Um, and an off-ball chaser defense is one of those things. So from a an off-ball chaser standpoint, really what your job is, is, you know, react on time. Don't let your guy run off the pin down and you give him a two-second head start because that's not going to end well. But assuming you're reacting correctly, are you able to fight around the screen? And once you do fight around that screen, if, if you're able to be in position and that offensive player just doesn't get a shot off, boom, you've really suppressed the action. Now, if they do get some sort of advantage, the screening angle is really good. It was a solid screen. The offensive player reads the coverage well, and they're, let's say they're curling off of it. Your job is then just kind of like a ball screen. You want to have some back pressure, be disruptive to pull up shots or to passes if you can, and try to recover and get back in front if you can. Um, so that's really what you're looking to do as an off ball chaser. And, and of course, if uh, that offensive player does take a pull up jumper and there's like a dropping big that steps up to contest, we now have that roller potentially who's open. So as that guard defender, you might want to go crack down on them and make sure they don't get on the offensive glass. So that's kind of it from a real basketball standpoint that those are some of the teaching points you're looking for. Um, in terms of this metric, it's, it's really looking at guys who are defending those actions frequently and doing a good job suppressing those offensive players in those situations. We're going to see a lot of chasers. Um, this is our defensive role that looks specifically at defenders who do this a lot. They're going to grade out well here. Um, but then other players who are just really good at it, like uh, just looking at players last season with at least, uh, let's see, a thousand minutes. Some of the top players were Royce O'Neal, who is also a very good on-ball player, Drew Holiday, elite defender, Jimmy Butler. But then we have guys, guys like Reggie Bullock, Danny Green, Dylan Brooks, um, Kobe White's up there, Lou Dort, who's very good on ball and off ball. These are just some examples of guys who are elite at this um, and they'll get their on ball recognition. But that off ball recognition is something that just, we just tend to pay less attention to. So I'm glad we're able to now evaluate it with the stat. I feel like the off ball chaser role, too, can really help defenses uh, go to that next level. Uh, because it's again it's the things you don't see and this is one of the reasons I got interested in analytics originally I started in baseball and uh, it was the problem with baseball there's so many players there's so many teams there's just no way to watch everyone there's not enough hours in the day right and mm-hmm. with something with off ball especially is I can't watch the Dallas Maverick games and figure out who is contributing to their team defense right like I just I have I have a job during the day. I'm gonna follow the teams I like to follow. I'm gonna do some things for basketball index. Like there's there's definitely not any time in those 24 hours to figure out like what's stopping the Mavericks defense from elevating to that next level. And I feel like mm-hmm. grades uh, that we have on basketball index, specifically things like off ball chaser defense role, is something that's such a great. Hey, I can flash look at that. Uh, let's say the Lakers, the team I follow, are gonna play. Uh, the Mavericks, I can pull up their chart and be like, all right, who, you know, what's their defense like? What's their, we have our D LeBron, which is just the overall impact on the defense. And then I can zoom in further and be like, all right, do they have on ball defenders? Do they have off ball chasers? Uh, is anyone out with injury? And you can just so quickly yep. uh, ballpark what a team is doing, where their strengths and weaknesses are. I feel like this is where um, specifically basketball index, you just, there's so much information and you can, it's almost like you can, you can take a lot of shortcuts in figuring things out. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea. When when we, when B-Ball Index uh, was consulting more with college teams, part of our approach was we're going to use data not just to help you make better decisions with lineups and with your set plays, but also we want to help you scout better, scout faster. You're Obviously, you need to still look at the film and, and break down the film and identify teaching points from that and coaching points from that. But 
if we can use data to tell you the roles offensively and defensively for the opposing team, and we can use data to help tell you which play types to watch out for certain players, and we can really quickly, really quickly give you a good grade on how they're doing in these areas, that's really helpful. Um, and just like you're talking about at the NBA level, using this to like scout teams, your team is playing. I literally did this today um, in, in my Lakers Discord. I was posting uh, Minnesota Timberwolves uh, data on the on-ball defense, the off-ball chaser defense, and, and the ball screen defense because, you know, that helps us take some shortcuts and really quickly realize which are the guys, you know, given who they have and how they're going to match up with our team, who might have a good day today. Um, so this is, there are applications for this type of data as a fan, as a coach, um, as like a DFS player. Um, so it's just, it, it's a whole new way to look at the game. And I really enjoy it. And I, I like that you call out that it helps elevate that defense because it's, it's just, it's very important. Um, team by team, offensively, certain teams will use off-screen stuff more than others. But when you're playing the Warriors, you better have some good chasers. If you don't, <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, so it's, you know, if playing the playing the Lakers these past couple of years, they don't do as much. But like, if you're out there playing a JJ Redick and you don't have a guy that's good at this, you're going to get burned. Um, so that's a a nice quick way if you know some off screen players, some high frequency frequency guys like a Buddy Heald or a Steph Curry, see who they're playing tomorrow and see if they have good chasers. And if they don't, you know, that that might help you predict what might happen. Absolutely. All right. So we focused on on ball, uh, off ball chaser. The last one we're going to hit on is our ball handler screen defense. Uh, can I break that down for us? Yeah. So it's similar teaching points for the off screen stuff. Uh, you got to fight through the screen, get around the screen. If you're dying on the screens, that's bad. And then once you get around the screen, are you able to recover? Are you able to get back pressure, disrupt passing lanes? Um, and this is another place where leveraging the matchup data is really important because if we know you're defending players who are in ball screens a lot, we can from that infer what that usage looked like in the game. So it's it's another example of like we are kind of piecing things together and working our way backwards into how defenders were being used um, by looking at that offensive player matchup data, looking at the offensive player usage data in that game, and then looking at the defensive player contest data for different types of shots. So it's all piecing it together on a game by game level, you get a decent picture. But once we stack those games on top of each other and get large samples, it becomes much more clear and the results are really good. And I mean, this is part of the reason why with teams only having played like 10 games right now, we don't have these out yet for this season, um, but they'll be out soon. But this is, this is a fun thing we have out for previous years that I would recommend people take a look at and ball handler screen defenses is a big piece of that. And uh, a guy that has stood out to me, you know, he grades out well here and I'm literally logging his games this season and seeing it on the film for the Lakers is Avery Bradley just like fights over every screen. He's going to just avoid it. He gets skinny and gets around them to the point where like teams might need to run three or four ball screens in a row before they can even get a drive off of it. Cause he's able to just, you know, <laughs> he's, he's like, uh, just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Just getting around them so fluidly. Um, and then when he is having to defend, he gets good back pressure or he cracks down on that big man and if a shot does go up and he's not able to contest the shot. So it's, it's just that full picture of ball screen and handoff defense. That is a really key piece of defense because it's really the number one action offensive teams in the NBA utilize these days. Yeah, I think it's so cool that we have, you know, the on-ball, off-ball chaser uh, is great, but to pick and roll has just become such a huge part of the NBA. And I, I feel like with especially old school stats, it's such like a, it's such a large, it's just, you know, kind of taking like 
you know, points or, or rebounds. And it doesn't really get into like the nitty gritty of like what's exactly going on. And I feel like that we're able to zoom in all the way down to, hey, how does this guy handle ball screens? You know, how does this guy chase off ball? How does this guy, you know, defend on ball? It's, it, it's almost like somebody, you know, like the Wizard of Oz, like we move the the curtain and all of a sudden there's this this information that, you know, it's always been there, but before something like basketball index, there was just no way to to digest it all, right? There was no way to quickly get enough of it to and absolutely watching the game film, watching the games is still super important. It's it's all why we're here. It's what we like to do. Uh watch the NBA. But I feel like being able to zoom in that far, it, it, to me it's I just want to understand what's going on. You know, I want to understand going into the season hey, is my team going to have trouble with this, that, and whatever? Or is this something this team is prepared for? I know um, on your uh, Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, you talk about roster construction all the time. You talk about the strengths and the weaknesses, and matchups are so important in basketball, probably more than any other sport. And now we can go in to a season and be like, okay, well, you know, there's high hopes for the Celtics this year, but they're they're struggling. Now we can go into – well, are they having issues on defense? And okay, now we we understand it's defense. Now it's what part of defense, like what part of their roster uh, does or does not have these skills that match up with what a modern NBA team needs to do to be successful. And I feel like the further you get into the database, just the more there is to 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 sort of shine a light on, hey, what exactly is going on and why is this happening? Absolutely. It's, it's for a lot of people, defense is like one thing it's you're a good defender you're a bad defender but we can dig deeper than that and we can dig deeper than just on ball off ball and we're at the point where we're able to dig into different types of off ball and different types of on ball and that just helps you be such a more informed consumer of the game and is really interesting to me and i'm excited to have conversations around this season where it's really digging into skill sets defensively in a way that we haven't done in the past offensively you know, we know which guys are the better finishers, the better playmakers, the better, uh, you know, mid-range scorers or three-point scorers or off-screen shooters. There's a degree of nuance when we talk about uh, basketball on the offensive side of the court that defensively we haven't quite reached yet. And this is one more piece of that puzzle to help enable those deeper discussions and see these players for who they are. And like you said, you know, pull that curtain back and see really what's going on. Because it's happening. It's just you know, watching live or like not catching a Mavs game. If, if, you know, you're a fan of another team and you know, it's hard to do your job, have your relationships, do all the fun things you want to do, but then keep in touch with every single other NBA team. Like that's, you know, realistic to expect. So uh, using us as a resource to help, you know, cut some of those corners and get you to accurate, reliable results without needing to like really grind film is, is really, really helpful. So Big, I, I love these. I'm really happy with these. Uh, I can just play in these all day long. And it's interesting seeing guys that are like good at some areas and bad at others. It's not like everybody has an A everywhere or an F everywhere. It's, it's so much more nuanced and it's really helping me see the game at a whole new level. All right. So next we're going to move on to last night. I, I had this idea of, you know, we talked about reputation versus data. And I was like, you know, what, what of these defensive players that we hear about all the time? Uh, Pat Bev, Lonzo Ball, Danny Green, Royce O'Neal. And I was like, I wonder, you know, which one of these guys really live up to the hype and which ones don't. So we were able to break it down uh, from we have our I I just grabbed real quick our on ball defense, 
our chaser defense, and then our D LeBron. And we talked about that just a little bit. Our D LeBron is just your overall defensive impact. And this actually led me to something I found even more interesting because this whole podcast we've been just talking about, hey, we can dig deeper and we can understand the different components of what's going on in basketball. So there was guys where they would have uh, an A, an on-ball, or a B, and then an A or B in the chaser role, but their D LeBron, their overall impact would be low. They would have a a D in that. And can you sort of uh, talk about uh, how that happens and sort of uh, making sense of that? Yeah, that's a really good catch. So it really comes down to that. So like the D LeBron's looking at impact that is supposed to be our like big picture, everything considered, this is how, you know, highly or lowly you're impacting your team's ability to perform on the defensive end. And with the stats that we have, we can look at on ball defense. We can look at your defending in screen situations. Uh, we've got the uh, off ball chaser defense. If we dig into some of our interior grades, I mean, we've got defensive rebounding, we've got rim protection, we have post defense. We have all these different things. One big area that we don't have data on, and it's just a huge blind spot right now, just because if someone's got a good idea on how to put this together, let me know, is <laughs> rotation. And rotations matter a lot. Uh, I'll tell you, after logging Laker film game by game, which is such a freaking grad, dude, um, looking at like, all right, this is how highly guys are executing at ball screens, on ball, off ball chaser defense. And then with specific rotation types, it's it's very frequent. Like anytime there's any breakdown, any on-ball drive or any off-screen or, or pick and roll or anything that creates either a drive at the rim or like a roller rolling to the rim, you need to rotate. And that happens all the time in the NBA. So this is something that if you're really good at it, it matters a lot. And if you're really bad at it, it's really going to hurt your team's defense. So a guy like a, a good example of this is Alfred Payton, who has pretty good grades with the on ball, with the chaser, with the uh, um, ball screen defense, but he is just completely lost from a rotation standpoint. And that is how he gets to such a poor D LeBron like he has. So it matters. It matters a lot. It matters more for some types of players than others. And I mean, we literally have a helper defensive role at the site. And that's for guys who are primarily on the defensive end, they're kind of like wing players who a lot of what they're doing is cleaning up those little fires that happen. And if they're not doing their job well, once you beat somebody on ball, it's a bucket. Or, or once you run a pick and roll and there's a roll man rolling and there's no help, that's a bucket. Um, so having that rotational defense is really what helps us get to the point where it's like, all right, you have to drive and kick and drive and kick and drive and kick and then settle for a shot with three seconds left on the shot clock because of rotations. It's it's not realistic to expect on-ball defense um, or, or just like this off-screen defense. Or it's not, a, it's not realistic to expect those to be perfect all the time and for a defense to not have breakdowns. To be a successful defense, it's more about handling and dealing with those breakdowns and putting out those fires um, in order to truly realize your defensive potential. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, just I grabbed some players last night uh, when I was in the database just – players that had an A in on-ball and an A in the chaser role. Basically the elite players we've seen uh, at the point of attack a lot of the time or chasing. And, you know, Pat Bev is a guy that's going to be there. Uh, Lou Dort, uh, Feibel from the Sixers, I feel like has come out the the last year or two. And just, I was talking to Christian the other day. It was like, 
he he cha- he's almost changing how you defend a lot of uh, players on the perimeter. Where it's like he's like blocking three point shots. He's blocking uh, coming around screens, mm-hmm. blocking people. I guess he has the B in the chaser role. Um, guys like Royce O'Neal has had an A in all three of our categories: D. LeBron, on ball, and chaser. All four years of his career, where that's just like truly elite production. That I feel like. One of the cool parts about our, our our site is we can shine a light on someone that's just doing such an exceptional an exceptional job consistently. I feel like things like that, like I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, like it just gets me excited because it's just such a cool thing to to recognize in a player. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to help us recognize and, and highlight guys who aren't getting that national attention. Like outside of Utah, three years ago, Royce O'Neal was not getting much attention. Two years he wasn't getting much attention. This year he wasn't getting all that much attention. So this is you know, us really being able to get a good grasp on how players are performing without, you know, needing to watch 30 games of him or 20 games of him or 10 games of him. And when you do watch him, like, let's say you watch a Royce O'Neal game and he has a bad day as a chaser. If if you didn't have the data, you might just be like, oh, I guess he's bad off ball. But maybe in reality, he was just, you know, you saw one of his worst games and having this data to kind of give you a good baseline and, and ground yourself is a good way to make sure that your perception isn't just based off of the like two or three games you get to see of a specific team during the season. Absolutely. Uh, I worked for a football analytics company prior to this, and that was a huge deal in scouting where it was, you know, you just randomly pick, you hear about a player. So you pick four games of them. This is the way they did it in the old school. And then, you know, of those, those four games you saw of that college season, you know, that could be, you can see the four best games of the year, or you can see the four worst games of the year, and then you get a warped uh, opinion of what that player really is. And I feel like the data, you know, charting every single play, every single game really helps to uh, kind of bring you back to reality. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we're hoping to do here. So like some other guy, like Alex Caruso, he's somebody, you know, like Lakers fans, we've seen what he can do. People thought he was just a meme. He's, he's legit. And Chicago fans <laughs> are realizing that now. And, you know, it's it's from a Laker perspective, it's sad to see and believe, but he is legit. Drew Holiday's another guy that like has just been elite everywhere forever. It seems like, um, and it's you know it's neat to see the guys who have these reputations line up with the data. Um, while at the same time, if there are specific guys who are you know declining a little bit, the reputations may stay the same. Um, like a, a, a we'll say Lou Dort and Lonzo Ball, they are both very good on ball defenders. A couple of years ago, or for Dort last, just two years ago, he was like an elite on-ball defender. And part of that was because he was asked to do just about nothing on offense. <laughs> and then, like Lonzo, to a different degree, he obviously was doing more his rookie year as an offensive player. But there are certain guys, and, and this is a, just a broader thing, when they're being asked to do more offensively and they're using more of their stamina bar on offense, they can't go all out on defense and you can't, you know, fully allocate all of your resources mentally and physically to being quite as locked down. Now they're both still very, very good just in our data this most recent year. They're not quite at the elite levels. They were a year or two ago, depending on the guy. So that is in, and that's an interesting discussion, you know, bigger picture when we look at some of these players and helps me appreciate even more. Some of the guys who do a lot offensively and defensively like a Drew holiday, who's, who's not like, their number one scoring option, but he is a pretty decent scoring load. He's a pretty decent playmaking load while at the same time, defensively he's taking on tough matchups is pretty versatile and is, you know, kicking butt in all of these areas. So it's, it really helps 
you know, add perspective and help us, you know, recognize and appreciate some of these guys who are able to do it on both ends. Cause it, it really is hard to keep up, you know, 99.9th percentile on ball defense while you're also on the other end of the floor, reading the floor and driving and kicking and shooting and all of the things that you have to do as a scorer and playmaker. Yeah. I'm, I'm super glad you hit on that. Cause that, I think that's, that is a great tale, you know, bookend for this, for this podcast of, changing roles, right? Taking more offensive responsibility. And then I feel like the real value is in aging players where, you know, someone's past 30, they're 33, they're 34, they're known, you know, for this, that, and whatever. And now we can look into the data and be like, are, are they still that, you know, I know they were, but mm-hmm. are they now? Um, all right. So I, I'm, if you can't tell me and Tim just really excited about these, uh, uh, perimeter defensive grades. I think they're really interesting. I think they're really fun to use. I made a whole list of players and I was like, you know, I'm not going to name off 30 players, uh, you know, A and B and the uh, on-ball and chase roles. But head on over to bballindex.com. Get into the data. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it really uh, – it's 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 just really interesting stuff that's at the cutting edge right now of analytics and basketball. Uh, follow Tim on uh, Twitter, Crangish McBasketball on Twitter, correct? Yeah, uh, Tim underscore NBA is my handle. Absolutely. Follow him the, on. the name is Crangish McBasketball. It's, yeah, it's okay. probably just easier to spell Tim and NBA. <laughs> Uh, Tim on Twitter, he's a great follow. Uh, Tons of information, tons of data coming out of that Twitter account. Uh, We'll be back soon with another episode of the B-Ball Index podcast.